Well, good morning. And it's good to be here. We've uh, enjoyed a full weekend so far, and it uh, promises to be even fuller uh, this morning and this afternoon as well. Uh, one, one slight correction. I went to school, went to college in Staten Island, uh, a little college called Wagner College, but I grew up on Long Island. Uh, so uh, North Massapequa, as a matter of fact. So just on the other side of the tracks from Jerry Seinfeld and the Baldwins, the more famous Massapequans. Uh, so as, as Eric has said, we have been at Christ Chapel uh, since November uh, 2015, but we have uh, <laughs> served far and wide, uh, 10 years in uh, North Dakota, in southwestern Ontario and Canada for a number of years, and then Bowling Green, Ohio, and then uh, now back on the East Coast, and uh, hoping and praying that the Lord will make his will clear and direct for, for Jill and for me, as well as for uh, the good people here at Maranatha. We have enjoyed getting to know everyone, and uh, we have especially enjoyed the very thoughtful questions that have been posed to us, and as uh, <laughs> I have been given, up that, given a heads up, the questions that will be posed to us um, following uh, this morning's service. So it's good to be here. Please, um, please join me in prayer, uh, and if you have your Bibles with you, you can already be turning in them to Psalm 88. Uh, please join me in prayer as we ask the Lord's blessing upon his word. Father, we have sung this morning reminding one another that you do not forget us. When we go through low times, when we go through dark times, we remember that we are led into those times by a sure and steady hand, a faithful and true shepherd who leads us through the valley into a place of rest and refreshment. Indeed, Lord God, a place of blessing that even as we follow you through uncertain times, there is always that great assurance of your presence and of your leading, that all we experience really is for our good and for your glory. We thank you, Lord God, that in the midst of these times, you also challenge us in terms of the things that we cling to, the things that we think are permanent and meaningful, you expose them as being not, and that you alone are the one who is trustworthy. And so we thank you, Lord God, that even in the midst of this pandemic, you have exposed in our hearts those things that we have relied upon that have led us into ways of thinking that are not according to your word and that you have gently corrected us and reminded us that our hope and foundation really is in the Lord Jesus Christ, in our dependence upon your Holy Spirit, Lord God, your word and your own character as a faithful and true God. We ask now, Lord, as we Come to the preaching and the hearing of your word. Indeed, that you would forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Father, that our hearts would be cleansed and purified by your grace and your mercy. That your spirit would speak to us and we would be responsive and receptive. Not only to hear, Lord God, but with your guidance and with your help to apply what is heard. That you indeed may be glorified and that we might further and deepen our love for you as well as our neighbor. So this we ask now and pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Psalm, 81, uh, Psalm 88 is uh, written by a man named Heman the Ezraite. Uh, and he is, uh, as you'll see, in a pretty dire situation. He begins his psalm by saying, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. 
Let my, pro- let my cry, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow every day. I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death, from my youth up I suffer your, ter- your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. So I'll admit the obvious. Psalm 88 is an unusual choice for a candidate sermon. <laughs> Nevertheless, I, I chose it because I, I believe it can teach us a lot about praying to God when it feels like he is not listening to us, as well as trusting him when we feel that he isn't there. Psalm 88 is the prayer of this man named Heman, who despite feeling that God has forsaken him, despite feeling that God has abandoned him, He is resolved to keep on seeking, to keep on praying, and keep on trusting the Lord to be his Savior. And because of that, this psalm and Heman's prayer, which is expressed in this psalm, this makes Heman both a desperate and a dangerous man. And I'll explain why. In 1942, C.S. Lewis wrote a book titled The Screwtape Letters. It's a novel in which Lewis claims to have come across 31 letters written from a senior devil named Wormwood, to a a screw tape rather, to his nephew Wormwood, who is a junior devil. And in these letters, Screwtape is coaching his nephew Wormwood how to tempt a young man who has recently converted to Christianity, how to tempt him to walk away from God whom Screwtape refers to as the enemy. Near the end of the eighth letter, Screwtape warns Wormwood that one of the schemes that the enemy, meaning God, uses to create more faithful followers is that God will withdraw his, the sense of his presence from his followers in order to create them into the kinds of people and beings that he wants them to be. So that they will, as he says, carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. He notes that it is during these periods that a human grows into the sort of creature he wants it to be. 
And so at this point, Screwtape exhorts Wormwood to really exploit these low times, these dark valleys, and work very, very diligently at tempting the young convert, who he refers to as the patient, to walk away from God, because as he cautions, he says, Our cause, dear Wormwood, is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Heman wrote Psalm 88 during one of these low times. He is a man surrounded by darkness. He even says, darkness is my closest companion, as if telling God, Even you've forsaken me, and my best friend is the darkness. But he is a man who, no longer desiring, but still intending to do God's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of God seems to have vanished, asks God why he has been forsaken, and yet still obeys. Now, we don't know what caused the darkness to descend upon Heman, and his The evidence of his obedience is the fact that he is lamenting, that he's griping, that he's complaining, that he's going to God in prayer. We don't know the cause of his darkness. What we do know is that it has lasted much longer than Heman expected it would. That it has lasted much more than Heman thought he deserved it to last. Much longer than he believed he could even bear it. And this... This vexes him. And his vexation causes him to speak in language and in ways that are arresting to us. I don't know how often you go to Psalm 88 as a devotional psalm. My guess is not not very much. But the vexation that Heman experiences explains the raw honesty with which he speaks to God. And that should encourage us when we go through such times. I mean, read the psalm. You've heard it. He complains. He laments. He makes wild accusations about God. You're going to abandon me to the grave. You're going to lose my praise of you and things like that. In other words, Heman is talking to God in in the very human way that we would expect from someone who is going through a low time, a dark time. Someone who is struggling to find God in the darkness, wondering why God has forsaken him. Why God has withdrawn his presence. Why his prayers seem to go up and go no further than the ceiling or the walls or the place in which he's praying. And by the end of the psalm, he even sounds like a man who is very much convinced that God has forsaken him. Why else would he write, my companions have become darkness? And that line is certainly miles away from David's confident confession in Psalm 23, verse 4, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And yet, if we remember, even David had his periods of darkness, his periods of despair, his periods doubting God's presence. Because at the end of Psalm 39, David tells God, Look away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. In other words, God, just turn your face away from me so I can die in peace. Because I just can't stand your looking at me and gazing me in my present state. Just turn your face away. Let me die in peace. 
And it's interesting that in all of the psalms that are included in the Psalter, Psalm 39 and Psalm 88 are the only two psalms that end on a, if you will, a, a hopeless note. They end the, the way that the, the film version of the novel Gone with the Wind concludes, you know, with Rhett Butler leaving Scarlett O'Hara, walking off into the foggy, misty darkness. Will Rhett come back? We don't know. Will God look away from David so that David can finally die in peace? We don't know. Will God lift the darkness that has surrounded Heman, leaving him feeling as friendless and fearful and forsaken by God? We don't know. But this much we do know. This much we can glean from what Heman writes. That sometimes the darkness lasts longer than we expect, but it will not last longer than we can endure. That sometimes the darkness lasts longer than we would want it to, but it would, it's not going to last longer than we can bear. Because sometimes it's in the darkness where we learn to trust God the most. And as much as Psalm 88 ends on the downbeat, it begins with this crescendo of praise. It begins with this very bold declaration and a prayer request. Heman begins by saying, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out, Day and night before you, let my prayer come before you. You incline my ear to my cry. Now, keep in mind the context, right? The, the psalm ends on this downbeat where Heman is sitting in the darkness. Uh, and maybe the, the right setting for a sermon like this would be in a, in a completely darkened room, everybody dressed in black with candles lit around, and at the end of the psalm, we all sort of snap our fingers. Like, yeah, it's just sort of this slam poet has just delivered the word. And we drop the mic and we all sort of... Mm. But Heman, there he is in the darkness. And what is he doing in the darkness? He's praying. Remember, darkness is his only friend. And yet, he's praying. He's lamenting, for sure, but he's lamenting to God. He's asking God to rescue him. He's asking God to make his presence known. He's sitting in the darkness, feeling that God has forsaken him. Nevertheless, he still obeys. He still pleads. He still expresses trust in God as his Savior. And I'm reminded of the, of the verse from the old hymn that says, When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Heman cannot see the face of God. He cannot sense the presence of God but he is trusting and resting in God's unchanging grace. He calls God my Savior. He is trusting in him. And a few years ago, and he's, even though he's sitting in the darkness, even though he's surrounded by darkness, and the darkness that he is experiencing, the darkness that he feels, is both an outward darkness and an inward darkness. You know, an outward darkness is a, is a darkness that is caused by our circumstances. We've had a, a, a turn, We've, well... We're in the pandemic. We've been maybe isolated from friends and family, isolated from our coworkers, isolated from one another. Be able to maybe gather in, in, a, in a day like this is an unusual occurrence, right? When this would, without the pandemic, this would be a normal thing to gather together in public and we wouldn't be wearing masks. But because of the, of the pandemic, the outward darkness, the circumstances that surround us are the things that may cause us to walk in darkness. And we don't really know what's going on in human's life or what caused the darkness. 
We know he's lost all of his friends. We know that he feels forsaken by God. We know that he seems in some ways to be facing death, whether it's imminent or oncoming. Somehow he is concerned about that because he asks God the question, do the dead rise and praise you? Is your righteousness known in the land of oblivion? So outwardly, his circumstances are, are dark. But then, but then inwardly, he's going through a time of darkness. If things outwardly are going badly, if things outwardly are dark, yet inwardly you sense God's presence, God's love and his mercy, then you can think, I can get through this. I mean, it's bad. It's not what I would prefer. It's not what I would pray for. But I know God is with me. I, I, I read the, the scriptures. I pray. And I just sense the spirit carrying me through. So when I walk into that workplace or I walk into that, that conversation, I don't want to have that conversation. It's painful. It's awkward. But I know God is carrying me through it and I'll be okay. But what happens when you don't have that sense? What happens when that inner light goes out? And God is a million miles away, because that's what's happening here. Heman, he feels abandoned. He, he feels even worse that God is angry with him, and God has rejected him. He feels that God is gone. And so he's experiencing both this outward darkness and this inward darkness. And he's praying, and he's trusting God as Savior. And even though he's praying fervently, he's still in darkness. And so there's a lesson here for us as believing Christians, that you can be a believing Christian. You can be doing all of the right things. You can be reading your Bible. You can be praying. You can be keeping up your devotional life. You can be keeping short accounts with people. You can be coming to church. You can be worshiping. And still the darkness comes, and it lasts longer than we think it should. Now, that doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? And yet, haven't we all felt like that? And if you haven't, just wait. Haven't there been times, certainly there have been in my life, when the darkness descends on you like a long winter's night, or an unwelcome party guest, or a really thick fog, or like a really long pandemic, and it just won't lift. And it just won't go away. I had a friend in Ohio who, if we were visiting with uh, he and his wife, if, if the hour got toward you know, being a little late and it was maybe toward his bedtime, he would look at us all and say, well, you know, uh, <clears throat> you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> and you want to say that when you're in a period of darkness. Okay, darkness, you know, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. But the darkness doesn't listen. It just hangs around. It lingers like a long winter's night. You pray and you pray and you pray and nothing. You go to church and worship sounds hollow. The sermon tastes like a raw potato. <laughs> nothing. You read the Bible. You study the Bible. You memorize all those verses about victory and faith overcoming the world and nothing happens. You have the elders pray for you, anoint you and nothing. Why is that? And still you obey, and still you persist, which is good. But why is it that those things lead to this almost fruitless sense? And I, I think it's because God is doing something that he can only do in the dark times. 
He's teaching us something that he can only teach us and things that only can be learned in the darkness. Showing us things about his character that he can only show us in the darkness. Things that he's showing about ourselves in the darkness that we can only learn in the darkness. Now that sounds, that sounds like bad news, I know. But it really is good news. As strange as it sounds, that's good news. That God teaches us about him and about our character in the darkness. And here's why it's good news. Because no matter how deep the darkness is, God's grace is deeper still. Let me explain. I, some years ago, and some of you who were at the gathering last night know that I went through, a, Jill and I went through a, a pretty dark time when we were in Ohio. And I, a friend of mine who was trying to counsel me and encourage me, he said, listen, Mike, nobody goes through life without singing the blues. And then about the same time, another friend of mine who knew what was going on said, I'm, I'm really sorry for what you're going through, Mike, but you know what they say, you got life, you got trouble. Now, that doesn't sound very encouraging, but for me it was. It was good news. Why it was good news is because it drove me to John 16.33. It was a reminder that when Jesus, on the last night of his life, was talking to the apostles, he prepared them for what was coming by saying, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so, even though Jesus overcame the world, he had to suffer tribulation in order to do that. So even Jesus suffered tribulation. What makes me think I'm going to get off scot-free? What makes me think I'm going to get through life without singing the blues? You got life, you got trouble. But even Jesus had trouble. And Jesus overcame by going through the trouble, by trusting God, by even though he felt and experienced being forsaken and abandoned by God, Jesus still obeyed. There's that marvelous text in Hebrews 12 that talks about Jesus enduring the cross for the joy set before him scorning at shame. Whose joy? The Father's joy in Jesus obeying the call to go to the cross, to suffer abandonment for the sake of those in whom they would place their trust. And so Jesus suffered, and so will we. The darkness may last longer than we expect, but it will not last longer than we can endure. When we think about it and you go through the scriptures, the Bible is filled with stories about people who did great things for God, but only after God led them through a period of darkness, through a season of despair and desolation. Why is that? Well, because God knows it's in the darkness that he can show us what's really in our heart. He knows it's in the darkness when we realize that suddenly following Jesus isn't about just going to church or doing religious things. But it's about trusting God and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by doing those things, if you will, by sheer will, even when they've lost their relish. Some of us, we open up the Bible and it's just like this garden, it just this aroma just emanates from the Word and we dive in and we are refreshed. And then there are those times when you open it up and it is like eating a raw potato. It just, they're just words. But God, but you, you go anyway to the scripture because you know at some point 
life is going to come back because there's life in this word. So God knows it's in the darkness that we learn to follow Christ by faith, by trusting in him. It's in the darkness where we learn what it means to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To realize, too, that it is in our weakness that we are strong. That God takes out all of the props and he smashes whatever idols we have created. He knows at the same time, I think, when, it's in, when you're in the dark, I think that's when you pray the most honest prayer. I certainly have. You know, those prayers that, that at the same time, those honest prayers, those are the prayers that bring him the greatest joy. Because we, we pray those prayers in the darkness are bitter complaints that God can transform into answers that turn us into better disciples. And sometimes we go into periods of darkness because it is a result of some act of disobedience, some sin that we have committed. But sometimes, sometimes you can be doing everything right. Sometimes you're, you're, you're living right in the sweet spot of God's will and everything is rosy. Right? The marriage is solid. The relationships are solid. Work is good. Everything in church is fine. And then suddenly... Out of nowhere, there's a fastball that just hits you in the head, and you're knocked out. And the darkness descends, and it won't seem to go away. Isn't that what happened to Job? You know the story of Job? That no matter, Job there, in a quick synopsis of the book of Job, right? Quick summary. Job starts off with Satan coming into the presence of God, along with the other beings, and, uh, and God notes the, uh, the accuser, the brethren there, and says, Have you noticed, my servant Job, that there's no one like him on the earth? Uh, and then Satan, wily fellow that he is, says, Well, does Job fear God for no reason? I mean, you've blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But you, you stretch out your hand. You touch all that he has. And he will curse you to his face. So what does God do, right? He allows Satan uh, to take away Job's property, take away his children, take away his health. The Lord allows Satan to lead Job into a season of darkness. And if you read Job, you'll find a lot of Job's prayers sound like Psalm 88. A lot of complaining going on in Job because the darkness has descended and Job doesn't think he can bear it. And here's the thing about Job. And here's the thing about Psalm 88. And here's the thing about prayers in the midst of darkness. That no matter how long the darkness lasts, keep on praying. Even if all you can do is complain. Because after cursing the day of his birth, Job goes on to say some pretty awful things about God. He accuses God of being unjust. At one point, God demands, uh, Job demands that God stand before him and give an account as he wants to cross-examine him in the dock. We hear the same kind of complaint, the same kind of desire for cross-examination by Heman when he asks those questions. Do, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon, the place of destruction? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Now, from Haman's perspective, every one of his questions can be answered no. 
No. As far as Haman is concerned, God does not work wonders for the dead. No, the departed do not rise up to praise God. No, the steadfast love of God is not declared in the grave. No, his faithfulness is not declared in Abaddon. No, God's wonders are not known in the land of darkness. And no, his righteousness is not known in the land of forgetfulness. Compounding that is the fact that like Job, Heman has become radioactive to his friends. They are avoiding him at all costs. They have deserted him. And I like how one scholar describes Heman's situation. He says, Heman is alone in the dungeon of wretchedness, where no one comes near him and whence he cannot make his escape. It's like that scene in The Princess Bride where Wesley, who is the, the dread pirate Roberts, wakes up and the, you know, the guy with the hunchback says, you're in the, you're in the dungeon of despair. <laughs> the dungeon, have you ever felt like that? You're in the dungeon of wretchedness. What a great description. And everybody just avoids you because you're radioactive. At the same time, Heman's questions are more than just the lamentations of a jilted disciple. Wrapped within his complaint, wrapped within his lament, it really is a double prayer request. He asks those questions. Do you work wonders for the dead and all of that? What he is doing, remember, he starts off by saying, you are the God of my salvation. So he is asking God to save me. Perform some miraculous work on my behalf because my desire, God, is to glorify you. My desire is to praise you. My desire is to lift up your name and to testify to the fact that you have led me into this period of darkness and then you have raised me up. And if I die, guess what? No one will ever know. I won't have the opportunity to give you glory. I won't have the opportunity to write a book and go on tour <laughs> and get my own blog and all of that. Get my Twitter following up to speed. So if you don't answer this prayer, God, I'm, I'm in a bad way, but you're in a worse way because you've lost one who can testify to your goodness. So in reality, Heman's complaints are prayers. So although the darkness may last longer than we expect, keep on praying, even if all we can do is complain. Because, yes, he's complaining about living in darkness. But look who he's complaining to. He's complaining to God. Yeah, he's lamenting that darkness is his only friend, but he's lamenting to God. He's griping about how unfair it is to be abandoned by his friends. But he's griping to God. God may have stopped talking to Heman, but Heman won't stop talking to God. He can't. Because even though when he looks around the universe from which every trace of God seems to be removed, he still obeys. Have you ever done that? You found yourself in a situation just going to God in prayer and complaining about your circumstances? Ever told God that all you really want to do is serve him? Tell others about him? but you can't because you're in the darkness and everybody's avoiding you. God's put you in a corner and it's dark. And all you can do is complain and lament that it's dark 
And where is God in all of this? If you've gone through that moment, maybe you're going through it right now, then you know what Job went through. You know what Heman has gone through. Which is why I think a psalm like Psalm 88 is in the Bible. Because if all that was ever in the Bible were stories about triumph and victory and glory and joy, and then we as God's creatures go through periods of darkness, doubt, and despair, and we read in his word, well, you should always be happy, joyful, and thankful, we would think something's wrong with me. But Psalm 88 reminds us it is a completely human experience to feel at times despondent and despairing when we don't sense God's presence in our life. And yet at the same time, what does Heman do? He goes to God repeatedly in his period of darkness. All the time Job was angry with God, he was complaining to God. All the times that Job was complaining to God, he was praying to God. He never walked away from God. He wanted an answer. He wanted God to address his need. As if Job was saying, and maybe this is the the point too of Psalm 88, God, I don't understand you. Uh, Some time ago I I heard a quote, maybe it was Mother Teresa who said, God, you would have more friends if you treated the ones you had better. Job says, I don't understand you, God. I don't understand how I could be in the sweet spot of your will and all of these things happen to me. I'm angry at you because of this. But he never stopped talking to God. He never let his anger get in the way of obeying by, by just praying, even if all he could do was complain. He stayed with God even when he was getting nothing out of that relationship. And sometimes the only prayers that we can pray are prayers of complaint. But even complaints are prayers. And sometimes the prayers that we pray in the darkness, as I said before, those are the prayers that please God the most. Why? Because they're honest. Right? They're real. They're unvarnished. They're unpolished. They're unfiltered. They may even at times be unsavory. But they're still prayers. Even if our prayer is just one long, loud, moaning lament, it's still a prayer. It's still offered to the one who can answer that. And even when we don't know what to pray, don't know how to pray, here's the grace in all of that. Paul tells us in in Romans 8, when we don't know how to pray, when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit of God comes and intercedes. And he prays for us, sometimes with groanings that are too deep for words. I had a a friend some years ago who worked in a a power plant up in Canada, and he was walking with a buddy. They were walking up those steel stairs that usually are in these big industrial buildings. And he was walking up these steel stairs with his friend, and his friend misstepped. And he banged his shin at the sharp edge of the corner, one of these stairs. That's a painful experience if it's ever happened to you. And his, his friend just went, oop, and then he just went silent. And he sat down, and he was just rocking back and forth. And my friend asked him, are you, are you okay? And he said, yep, I'm just letting the pain pour forth. That's when the spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. When you just let the pain pour forth, and the spirit then intercedes with groanings that are too deep for words. And you know what happens when you pray like that? When Job prayed like that? When Heman prayed like that? It means that Satan is defeated. It means that we have not cursed God. 
It means we have not cursed the darkness, but we have chosen to go further up and further into it because we know God is leading us through it into a valley of rest and refreshment, waiting until the dawn breaks and the sun of righteousness rises with healing in its wings. It means that, as another friend of mine says, we learn to grow in grace rather than groan in disgrace. It means even when we don't feel God is with us, we still trust that he is. That we can say, even though I don't sense your presence in this, Lord, I'm going to trust that you're with me. Even though my faith is like a raisin in the sun, I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to read the Bible. I'm still going to church. I'm still going to worship. I'm still going to love my neighbor. I'm still going to do the things that you are asking me to do. And if we resolve to do that, to obey when we have no sense of God's presence, yet choose to obey, that's how the Lord grows us into the kinds of followers he wants us to be. People of stamina, stability, strength, People of courage, conviction, and character. People who pose a very serious danger to the cause of Satan. Last point. When darkness is your only friend, you still have a friend in Jesus. Even though Heman didn't feel that God was with him, he prayed to God anyway. And here's the thing. Haman didn't feel God was with him. But we know God really was with him. We know God did not abandon him. We know God did not leave him alone. We know that God did not forsake him. We know that God arranged for this darkness to be temporary, not permanent. And we know that God was using the darkness to grow Heman into a man of stamina, stability, and strength, a man of courage, conviction, and character, a man who would pose a very serious Danger to the cause of the enemy. And how do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us so. Go back to the book of Joshua. In chapter 1 of Joshua, Moses, the servant of the Lord, is dead. Moses was Joshua's mentor. And it has fallen to Joshua to lead Israel into the promised land. I cannot imagine, and it is difficult to imagine, the weight that is pressing upon Joshua's heart mind and soul, the the psychological, the spiritual weight of all of that. He has to lead this nation into the promised land. And knowing this, God appears to Joshua and he tells him in verse 5 of chapter 1, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And so just as the Lord promised to be with Moses and Joshua, the Lord promised to be with Heman. And as he promised to be with Heman, so he promised to be with those who trust in him. And that gets fleshed out even further because you say, well, maybe that text in Joshua is really meant only for Joshua. Contextually, you know, it's just, it's just there. But then you move into the New Testament and Jesus expands that even wider you remember in his farewell address, beginning in the Gospel of John, in John 13 on through John 17, in John 14, Jesus tells the apostles, I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. 
And then Jesus seals the deal by saying, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so we have the promise of the Spirit to be with us always, wherever we are, as well as the ever-present present God who is always with us, in fact, who leads us and creates the circumstances into which he molds us into the kinds of disciples he wants us to be. And, this, and, and as if to add grace upon grace in all of this, one of my favorite, I have numerous favorite Bible passages, but one of my all-time favorites is Hebrews 7.25, where the writer of the Hebrews tells us that Jesus is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives, to pray for them. So here's this double assurance. Paul tells us in Romans that when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit intercedes and prays for us with groanings too deep for words. And then the writer of Hebrews comes along and says, oh, and by the way, as the Spirit of God is helping you pray, here is Jesus in the presence of God the Father praying for you. That's why we know Heman was not alone. That's why we know God had not forsaken him. And somehow God was pulling from Heman these prayers, even though they were complaints and laments, he was pulling out from him because I think the Spirit was helping him and the, the Son also. And so if Jesus is your Savior, if you're trusting in him, he is not only with you in the darkness, he's praying for you in the darkness. Even when you don't feel it, even when we don't sense it, he's with us. His spirit is with us. He dwells within us. And his spirit is also praying. The darkness may last longer than we expect, but it doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. And we know this because of what Heman says at the end of the psalm. Speaking to God, your wrath has swept over me, he says. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. You've cursed my beloved and my friend to shun me. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Now think about that. God's wrath, destroyed by dreadful, dreadful assaults, abandoned by his friends, forsaken by God. Darkness is his only friend. Does that sound familiar? Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46. Now the sixth... From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The darkness may last longer than we expect, but it will not last longer than we can bear. Why? Because Jesus got the total darkness we think we're getting. When the darkness feels like it will last forever, when it feels like God has abandoned us, he hasn't. We know that because Jesus took the total darkness that we deserved. When Jesus went to the cross, he was truly abandoned. Heman only felt abandoned, but Jesus was truly abandoned. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Heman felt forsaken. That was an emotional response to outward and inward darkness. But Jesus really was forsaken by God. He really did suffer the wrath of God. Heman only felt it. I like how Tim Keller says it in his sermon on Psalm 88. He writes like this. He says, of all the people who have ever trusted God as Savior, only Jesus Christ can truly say, 
Darkness was his only friend. And you know why? Because he was taking upon himself the sins that we've committed. We deserve to be forsaken by God. We deserve the darkness. But Jesus took the darkness so that when we believe in him, our sins are forgiven. Or put another way, Keller says, Jesus Christ experienced darkness as his only friend so that in your darkness you can know that Jesus is your friend. That he's still there. That Jesus was truly abandoned so that when you and I feel abandoned, we can know that we are not and that God is still there. That Jesus experienced darkness as his only friend so that in our darkness we can know that Jesus is our friend. Listen, you go through a season of darkness, it may feel like God has abandoned you, but he hasn't and he won't. And Jesus certainly won't abandon you. No matter what you've done wrong, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of the Gethsemane, he felt the darkness coming down on him. He knew that he had to die in order to save us. He stayed. Everyone else fled. He stayed. He did not abandon us in our darkness then. So why would we think he would abandon us in our darkness now? And do you remember that series of sarcastic questions that Heman asked, beginning with, do the dead rise up to praise you? Uh, if you believe uh, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And the answer is, yes, they do. Because Jesus did. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because Jesus went through his night of darkness. And Jesus came out on the other side. So will we. I'll just end with this. The, the old German uh, Old Testament scholar Franz Delich wrote this. He says, The Lord is more faithful than men. No soul in the midst of wrath lays hold upon his love, whether with a firm or with a trembling hand, is suffered to be lost. Read that again. The Lord is more faithful than men. No soul in the midst of wrath lays hold upon his love, whether with a firm or with a trembling hand, is suffered to be lost. So how's your grip this morning? Is it firm? Is it trembling or weak? But bear in mind, in the end, it doesn't matter whether your grip is firm or weak. What matters is that God's grip, Jesus' grip, the Spirit's grip upon your soul, your heart, and your mind is strong and never-ending. And he has promised never to leave nor forsake those who put their hope in him. You see, when darkness is your only friend, you still have a friend in Jesus. And even though the darkness may last longer than we expect, it will not last longer than we can bear. We have Jesus to thank for that. You think about that, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are in need of being reminded of your constant presence, your love, 
your spirits pulling out from us prayers of praise as well as prayers of lament, and that you welcome both, that you answer both. And so we thank you that Christ endured the darkness so that when we go through a season of darkness, we can be assured that you are with us, that you are leading us through it, and that Christ has borne everything so that in the end we may declare your glory and declare your praise with our lives, with our words, and with the testimony of the faithfulness of God to carry us through. I thank you for this time, Lord God, and pray you to continue to bless the rest of our time together. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.